Hello, friends. If you're enjoying the show and having a great time, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening on. And uh, after you do that, why don't you come and join us in our new Discord server where we hang out and just talk nerdy shit all day long. You can find the link in the show notes, in our link tree, and all of our socials at Fantasy Pants Pod. Blast. Hold on, let me put this thing away. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah, put it away. Gross. Ew. Ew. Zip that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I can see I'm going to need this. Hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah, last week was a challenging week for me. <laughs> Challenge week for all of us. Yeah. It was um, fun. I had fun. To <laughs> say the least. Yes. It, it was fun. Um, I was pretty hard on myself for messing up that uh, that Jean Franklin move. <clears throat> um, but I talked to a friend of the show, Rochelle, our oh. IRL level one cleric and uh, self-described D&D chaplain. And, uh, and I was like super bumming about it. <laughs> And, and she, and she <laughs> said, so sad. she said she was like, you know, mistakes happen in D and D and like, yes, it sucks. And we had to acknowledge that and accept it. But the thing, or one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on here is our authenticity. It would have been so easy to just re-record it, yeah. take it out, fix the mistake and move on. Yeah. But the fact that we didn't and the fact that you, David, were so quick on your feet to give us a fair chance, even though I messed up with that extra check, I think that says a lot about what we do here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm into it. I, I think it was great. And honestly, the thing with the thing with failure is science just makes for a better narrative. And 
the fight following that that attack that you know kept me in the battle it was a really cool fight yeah we was, saw mm-hmm. give the metallic dragon happen twice both right. the, the features of it the healing and the wings mm-hmm. holy shit yeah we saw jewels drop down at the end of the fight i was this close this close i hold my fingers very close together pants people you can't see that <laughs> but it's it's very very close they're basically touching this close to taking out our Jules yeah. LaRoche. Yeah. Oh, I mean, even, even in the shot that you took me down, like you had a very real chance of just killing me outright. It's, it's scary shit. Scary shit. Big old scary Boyd. I, I think I might have felt a little Fucking bit different. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have felt a little bit different if that mistake led to a character death. You sure. know what I mean? Um, then... I mean, we, we, we'd have to go to, like, group therapy for a little bit. Yeah, I just would have, like, hung up my headphones for a little while. <laughs> Do a couple episodes of that, Steven, for punishment. Um, but shit happens, and uh, I'm ready to move on. So now as far as moving on goes, a couple quick things. Uh, let's talk wedgies. I don't think we had a lot that we didn't catch. I mean, we, we obviously we we talked about the few we had. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was mistaken in my because because I actually before we realized that I should have stayed, I was sticking around in the fight when I should have just bolted. Right. Um, I'm glad I didn't because we wouldn't wouldn't you know, we we caught this instead. It all worked out perfectly. Um, the only tiniest wedge you could think of is I think we missed a nat one at one point that that Zebulon rolled. I didn't uh, do anything with. Uh, but I was just in the stress place and yeah. uh you know what it worked out just fine that stuff's flavor anyways i think it's, it's really just flavor you know i don't want to be like i'm not too stringent on getting every nat one i'm not here to like punish punish it's just narratively interesting sometimes and when it's not narratively interesting i don't really care that much it I keeps guess. things fun yeah, yeah yeah that's how i see it um my biggest nat one um we'll blame my npc for this one uh maria the alvidado uh Entirely got her directions wrong. <laughs> what I was explaining. I, said, I think I said west, like, oh, northwest, northwest. Every time you hear the word west, just assume I said east. And uh, we're Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I listened to the episode, and I was like, that's not at all how the map works. <laughs> um, but she was really bad directions. It's not me, guys. It's her. She's very mm. sorry. All right, we're, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, you will. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think that's all for wedgies, and I do have one more little announcement. I know this is going to seem a little out of the blue and a little crazy. This is wild. Here's the thing. He's reaching for the jar. Here's the thing. What? We're not getting into all the nitty-gritty details of this right now, but these two gentlemen here are currently putting up with a lot of bullshit from me <laughs> because I had plans upon plans upon plans for this arc, and I've been changing them last minute, throwing them for the loop. You'll find out what I'm talking about in a little while here, but... uh. You guys have been serious troopers. Seriously, take these buttons. Each nice. button, button each. You you earned them. Uh, I mean, I. All right. Thank you. I will take this take this button. But yes. With, with that build up, I was kind of expecting like two, two or three. Oh my god. Yeah. Who do you think I am? <laughs> A bunny for the best players in the world. And uh. Ah, uh, thanks. Thank you for putting up with my constant baloney. Um. I also want to say, real quick, for anyone that is familiar with the book, you probably noticed I took a lot of liberties with the uh, creature we dealt with last week. Uh, mostly I cut down on its ability to do, like, insane burst damage. Uh, I cut down on that. Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, Think about that. He took it easy on in us. Favor, Let that no, marinate. In yeah. favor of legendary, legendary actions did not have and more consistent damage and a few more magical tricks, some of which I have yet to reveal. But it's it's a good thing we probably won't see that, that, that Boyd again, huh? Fucking Boyd. Huh? He's probably gone. <laughs> Never again. Yeah, I'm sure he's gone. We scared him off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. He's terrified. So where do we go from here? Right? 
where do we go from here? Well, I know where. We're going to go to the Radiant Citadel. Still shining the cool blue of night. Now, when we left uh, left our heroes off, it was about 11 o'clock p.m. We're going to shift forward a little bit. Maybe 2, 2.30. The dead of the night. And we see the diamond there. Amongst the swirling chaos, the keening gloom, down below, thunder, roaring, threatening. We're not focused on that. No, 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 no. We're going to pan up to the smooth, fasted walls of the auroral diamond. And we're going to pass through them. It is night inside as well. The faux sky above the preserve of the ancestors shimmers with thousands of stars against the blackness. Shining down on an open expanse, a hodgepodge of habitats and environments that you guys are somewhat familiar with. And the center of all of this, still glowing like a beacon, in the midst of this cool peace, we see Auroral Town. We're going to pan down to the crystalline streets. The area still abuzz with a constant stream of information and drama passed between structures by cables and playing out on diamond screens on the sides of buildings. Except few folk wander the streets at this hour. While there is light, while there's activity, there's very little life here right now. Very, very little. And as we pass by maybe a few dark figures, our eyes moving swiftly down the streets towards the city's center, towards the amphitheater, in the surrounding manners of all the speakers, of all the worlds, we're going to hone in on one particular figure, moving towards a square-shaped manor. We see a sign before the door reveals us to be the home of Fortino Infante, speaker for Sansetian. And as this figure closes in on the structure, moving right up towards the door, a grim-faced shield-bearer guard nods expectantly towards them. And I've just got to ask you, Stephen, mm-hmm. does Crispin Dubois nod back? Yeah, of course he does. Guard sees this, whispers a word, steps to the side as the door <laughs> slides open, and he gestures you inside. Um, yeah, Crispin's going to step inside. He whispers as you go, head to the back. They're in the office, waiting. The door closes. You step inside, to this darkened manor. There are no servants about. There's no light emanating from the crystalline walls, but you do see the light from the far back, down a hallway. All the doors to the sides are closed, just one singular door open at the very end, where you can see a desk, and you can see a figure behind the desk. Do you approach? Yes, Crispin approaches. As you move closer, as you step into the room, you see there are actually two figures within. One is a dwarven man with brown skin and no beard. He has small spectacles resting at the tip of his tiny nose in a loose white silken nightgown. His dark-groomed eyes are wide and frantic. They glance your way as you step into the room but turn immediately back to their true focus. A woman, old and copper-skinned, her black 
gray streaked hair is pulled into a tight braid. Her confident, easy form is covered by a red and yellow gown. Her shrewd eyes hang over a wolfish grin as she, too, glances in your direction. And you know, you know that this is Shole, the brass dragon, in her human form. Ah, you're here. Early, too. Good. I have a few questions for you, Luminary Crispin Dubois. But first... And she turns away from you, reaching into her sleeve, pulling out something small and round. A recording diamond, which she casually tosses onto the desk in front of the dwarven man. And you know that this man, I imagine, you were invited here. You could guess, at least, that this is Fortino Infante the speaker for Sansetian, the one who offered you this invite. But I think now you are starting to second-guess who exactly brought you into the fold here. <laughs> As you wait, Sholei glances towards Fortino. Take a look for yourself while I speak with my associate. Take your time. Watch every second. You should understand the fragility of your position in its entirety. And, yes, it is already packed up into the ethereal diamond proper. Ready for release upon my word. The dwarf's jaw locks, eyes holding back frustrated tears as he turns his back from you both and turns his focus onto the swiftly moving images on the face of the diamond. And Sholei turns back to you. All right. I haven't done this on the mic yet, so I might need like two or three tries. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's uh, Don't overblow it. All right. All right. So excited. How may I be of service? Sholei pauses for a moment, eyes thinking, and just... First, I'm going to ask you some questions. You would do well to understand that I already know most of the answers. I would just like to hear them from you before we proceed. Is this understood? All right. I love it. I fucking love it. Um, why did you become a luminary? Why? To protect my community. To protect? With money? With influence? Money buys resources. This is true. But there's more to becoming a luminary than money. There is great political power in your current position. What do you intend to achieve with this granted power? I'm not interested in power, Miss Sholay. She smiles slightly at this remark. One last question. You were one of the first witnesses to the recent tragedy on God's Breath. The farmhouse slaughter. What were your thoughts on the scene? Well, it was certainly a gruesome tragedy. It was. And I think you are aware that it is not the end of such tragedies. Especially for God's breath. It's just the beginning, isn't it? You have no interest in power. But perhaps you would have an interest in powerful allies. People who may be able to change and shape the face of these things. 
to avoid such tragedies in the future. That is why I've called you here, Mr. Dubois. You see, I have come to realize very recently that you luminaries hold certain powers and freedoms that myself and my agents cannot attain. As such, I have decided it could be worth my time to ally with one of you. Now, I've done my research. You have a certain reputation for subtlety and discretion that your associates lack. You, as far as luminaries go, seem to hold, well, good reasons for seeking this position. You do not seek fame and glory like most of the lot. You are a practical man. And as a practical woman, I believe we can help each other. I'm honored. So you would be interested in such a relationship, then? I am. Are you currently partaking in the assignments? I am currently available. Very good. Then you will go to Sansetian. What'll I do at Sansetian? Once you arrive, the exact trajectory of your investigation will be up to you. But I have tidbits of information, pieces of a larger puzzle, and I need to know more. Now we know that Samuel LaRoche is on Sansetian. You may not be aware of the LaRoche family and their role in our political environment, but they are as devious as rumored. I want to know why he's there. On top of this, we know that a mysterious bounty has been posted to the payment of 600 gold. It is my belief Samuel LaRoche posted this bounty. Now, we are still waiting on information about the figure hunted. I only know little, but 600 gold is a lot. Already, hunters are swarming to the world to take up this job. We also believe there is a connection between the Tresina of Sansetian, the leaders of Sansetian City, and the illness Sereno. Now, this is to be kept very quiet. It's pure speculation, and to let this leak it could be disastrous for my own career and position, but it is thought that this is why Atash and my own efforts to send proper aid have been met with cruel indifference from the city's leaders. We don't know what purpose the illness would have for the Tresina. We do know that it has been disproportionately affecting the lower class. And we know that they were priorly on the verge of a revolution. So you're not asking me to participate in this bounty, but to learn more about Sereno? I simply want more feet on the ground. If you choose to investigate the bounty, that's up to you. If you choose to investigate Sereno, that's up to you. It is my belief that all roads lead to the same resolution. The fall of the Roche family. Because it's the sandbox um, <laughs> arc. <laughs> now I remember. There is one more matter. My grandsons are currently on Sansetian in the midst of all this uncertainty. If possible, I would like you to keep an eye on them. 
Stay away. Do not reveal yourself as my agent. They are arrogant and foolish both. I do not trust them. Do you... Do you intend to have children yourself, Mr. Dubois? Well, that's a personal question. It is. She actually cracks a, a sort of full smile. Whatever your answer, I suggest that you... <laughs> well, you think about it deeply. You will never sleep another full night in your life if you do. I'll do what I can to protect your boys. Good. Now, and she turns away from you to the hunchover figure of the dwarven man who's just like, as he kind of turns his eyes, sort of sensing that he's been called back to you, there are tears running down his face. Back to you, speaker. You can see I already have as much information as you likely can offer me. I do not need you. But you will turn a blind eye to my workings. You will not warn the Tresena or the LaRoche family of my interest. You will pardon anything my agent does within reason. And this is towards you, Crispin. Nods his head understandingly. Whilst he investigates matters on Sansetian for me. Is that understood? And just nods. Good. Now, Mr. Dubois, I have a few more words for my fellow speaker. You may go. He silently turns and leaves. Do not think this will be without copious reward. You'll be paid handsomely, and when you come back, once I know you can be trusted, I'll bring you into the fold on information that you you could never have dreamed of. When Sholay starts to speak, he stops in his tracks to listen and without even turning around when she's done speaking he just walks out the door we see this horn gone walking down the halls approaching the gate where you see uh, that the guard is now inside opens a gate for you you step back out into the city and as you step out as the, the lights outside sort of fall on you once again for the folks at home Give me a description of Crispin Dubois. Crispin Dubois is a small-sized Harangon. I have to be completely honest. In uh, our Unzipped, I talked about his coloring. Um, I remember him being mousy. I think he had something, some sort of coloring on his face. I can't remember. I meant to go back and listen. I feel bad. That's, this is a different Crispin Dubois now. Oh, yes. This is, yeah. <laughs> that was Crispin Dubois. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, he wears a, uh, Crispin wears a red bandana around his, uh, his face, covering his nose and mouth. I love this. And when, when it ties back behind his, his head, his ears are tied into it, or it's underneath so, it. That is it's awesome. so cool. I just, so I, this, cool. honestly, no reason for it. I just like it. <laughs> I think it's like his it's like his superhero mask. You know I love I mean? it too, because like Steven is a bandana wearer. Oh yeah, for sure. If I'm not hiking. Oh yeah. I got a bandana on. Known bandana wearer Steven Rodriguez. Art imitates life, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, um, fun thing. Uh Crispin wields a two handed great club. <laughs> Small sized Haringon. <laughs> two handed great club. Um Again, just because I thought it was fun. Crispin also has, spoiler alert, 
unbelievable stats. Yeah, wait till <laughs> just... yeah, wait till that bonus app comes out. We rolled stats, and it's just not fair. <laughs> and we see this figure step out into the light, and we pan away. Around the same time that this scene began, we pan over to another area around this amphitheater. A familiar manner, a large spire jutting up taller than all the others. We pan up to this spire. We pan through crystalline walls to an upper floor. Now, the last time we were here, we saw an office in the back. We saw some rooms jutting out from the from the sort of central location. We saw a sort of spiral staircase moving up to a higher floor. We're on that floor now, where a number of quarters seem to be tucked off to the edge of the uh, you know, sort of this main room with one sort of larger primary door, the sleeping quarters for Cirilla herself. Currently actually occupied by Cerise, as she would only have the finest room. Cirilla has been... Uh, Uh, Sent to one of the servants' rooms, but still locked tight inside. We're not looking for that room, though. No, 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 no. We are turning our attention to one particular door. The door beside it. The door belonging to Cirilla's personal guard, Dresden Kellig. We pan through this door and come to you, to your quarters. Before we touch on you yourself, let me ask, what do your quarters look like, Dresden? I think his quarters are very cluttered, but it's very neat and tidy clutter. Like he has a, he likes to collect things. Ooh, hell yeah. I think at this late hour, we might expect to see a man sleeping, but we don't. We see a man maybe standing, maybe sitting. We see a man in quiet contemplation. He's sitting over the side of his bed. There you are. We see a, a... Imagine a very concerned look in his eyes as we pan towards him. And real quick, once again, folks at home, give me a Dresden description. Uh, he Dresden is mostly always wearing his chainmail armor. He's got long brown hair, slicked from sweat and oil, and he, he doesn't shower all that much. Uh, but his face is dirtied up. Uh, he's got an eye patch over his left eye, which covers up part of a scar that runs from the top side of his left forehead down to his chin. Hell yeah. We see Dresden, we zoom in towards that eye, and, sorry for the continuous chronological shifts, folks, we're going to pan to a memory from just a few hours prior, maybe right around midnight, as Cirilla is resting in her office. She should have been asleep some time ago, but no, she's, she sits at her desk, staring down a small, round object. An object that Jules LaRoche recently almost saw, but didn't quite hit that perception check. It is a stone of sending, uh, similar to the stone you saw Arhalon use way back when to speak with Shole, able to send short messages out and retrieve them back once a day. Messages need to be 25 words or fewer. And midnight has struck. Cirilla waiting, waiting for a message to come through. She's tapping at the desk, fidgeting nervously, eyes flickering around as though looking for her mother. For Cerise would not, would not like this. By her side, we see two figures, Dresden Kellig and his brother, of course, Jessinth Kellig. 
The ratty man keeps glancing over to the stone, glancing over to Dresden. His constant sneering smile on his face never quite falls off. And then... Small mouths on the stone begin to open, whispering nothingness. Trilla snaps the stone up in an instant, holds it up, and at her touch, at her command, the mouths begin to speak true words, a message coming through, a message in shorthand, but saying absolutely everything she, she'd hoped to hear and everything Dresden feared. Flakatakolo, assault successful. Jules, gravely injured, possibly dead. Creature fled, ordered to preserve self. Maintaining Sereno, highest priority. Jules, infected. Death likely within the week. Huh? <laughs> oh. oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. Do you hear that? She looks over at you, Dresden. Isn't that just lovely? Hmm. Finally. Finally. I want you to roll an insight check real quick. Oh, first roll. We get dice tonight. Ooh, baby. And first roll is only a nine. Okay. Um, with a nine, you... I want to tell you what you don't see. I think that's fun. Okay. Dresden, your eyes are focused on Cirilla. She's just just these happy musings of hers. Her sort of like stretch and, and, and sigh of relief knowing that that intolerable Jules LaRoche is finally, finally getting his due. You're focused on her. So you don't see the glance in your direction from Jessinth, from your brother. The narrowed eyes watching you with some suspicion. You don't see that. Of course I don't. And we cut to later in the night. We cut to Dresden on his bed, sitting and thinking. You have spent years maintaining your position in this family, long after realizing their wickedness. What has been your role here? Not your role to the higher-ups that you pretend to serve. What has been your role to the people? I've been feeding them information. Acting as a bit of a double agent with uh, with Jules. All these years, these close calls. Micken's pub in the first episode. Perhaps some of it was luck and wits on Jules' end. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely a lot of it has been his secret weapon on the inside. Absolutely. Hell yeah. But now, now there's trouble. Now you know that the LaRoche family has finally struck true. Jules may be dead. It wasn't confirmed either way, and if not, he is most certainly dying. And your position here has not been fruitful as of late. Tythos gone, Jules no longer being apprehended in the same way, and... Cerise, while she's so close, the head of this family, the head of the snake, she's kept her distance, always so careful. Years of service, and she's still so careful. Your influence here is limited, and so I'm going to ask you, Dresden, what do you intend to do? Dresden intends to leave and go to Saint-Satian. When? 
tonight. The guards are, for the most part, at rest. Your masters, foe masters, at rest. This is the opportune time. And so, we do see Dresden wearing his chainmail, packed and ready to go with all of his belongings. How do you want to proceed? How blocked is my way out? There will be a single guard at the main door. You know the words to get in and out the main door, though. You can open it from your side, and as it stands, you know the man. He knows you. You may be able to make an excuse. Do I know of any secret ways out? Uh, the one door is the only way. Just the one. These okay. uh, crystalline mares are very well fortified. Okay. We see you open the door to your quarters, step through, move quietly down the stairs. Well, we'll see if it's quiet. Give me a stealth roll. Why not? Ooh, Got oh. chainmail on. Disadvantage. Fuck off. Oh, shit. Already? <laughs> eh, why not? It's fun. I mean, I'm not necessarily trying. I'm not trying to sneak out. That's true. I mean, if you're heard, I mean, like, honestly, I think we touched on this before. These rooms, like, just like in the hotel, um, the <sighs> crystal stallion. <laughs> Change it. It should be the crystallion. Change it. It's the crystallion now. Yeah, there you go. It's like crystallion. It's fancier. Everybody say it. Anyway. I don't, I don't accept it. Crystallion. <laughs> I don't accept you. Uh, the walls are actually pretty much soundproof. So it, realistically, unless someone's out and about in the main floors, you're actually fine. Well, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, I, like, I, I wasn't trying. There, there's one way out. I know there's people there. Like, I'm not gonna try and. You know. I just like rolls of disadvantage. They're funny. <clears throat> you're, you're like the trusted. You're like the trusted guard of the lady. Yeah. Halt! What are you doing here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm the one that tells you to halt. Right. Explain yourself to me. <laughs> All right. Then you move. Yeah. Okay. You move down the stairs towards the one door out. You open the door. I open the door. Oh, oh, oh. Guard on the other side, sort of startled that the door behind him just suddenly opened. Turns and looks at you. Oh, so Kelly, uh, can I help you? I'm terribly sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> it's all right. Are you uh, out on a request from Lady Cirilla? No, no, I'm uh, I'm just going to go for a little bit of a walk. Oh, well, take care. He nods. And you pass by. You take care now. You know this man. His name is, uh, Craig. (laughs) 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 The, you know, garden of blue and white, normal little roche colors, but he's actually one of the good ones. Have a good night, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you say it, it's not cool. Um, (laughs) I love the grit. It's so different from Jules. I love it. (laughs) It's going to take me a little bit to get used to it. Oh, it's so good. Both these characters are so good. Yeah, we got a lot to fall into, but... Uh, let me ask you this. Do you, uh, I mean, you know that, like, you could move through the preserve itself, go up the long stairs, all that uh-huh. stuff, or you can just go to the gates. There should be someone there that's willing to teleport you to the main, um, you know, entrance to the preserve, and you can just get out the sort of normal way. One of those will take hours. One of those will take yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, can I roll something to see if I would know how safe it is to take the normal channel? Ooh. I like that. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, give me either history or insight. That's a 21. Okay. Um, 
you know that these sort of normal to his te- you know these, these gates of teleportation uh, much like a lot of the other features like the the conquer jewel landing sites out in the outside of the radiant citadel the sort of main gate going into the preserve these are all sort of maintained by um trying to think of a cool name for them uh, they, 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 I've mentioned before there's these white robed uh, sort of workers that sort of take care of everything for the uh, you know all the sort of like deeper magical uh, uh, mechanics of the oral diamond they are called the retainers um, right is that okay is that good yeah, yeah of course fine. unless yeah. you want to go with toll booth operators no I don't I don't it's less whimsical <laughs> <laughs> um, so the retainers basically they basically they, they serve the uh, speakers but they don't necessarily serve any individual speaker. And from what you've seen, they are generally people chosen for this world because they are uncompromisable. They do not act without writs. They do not act without, without you know, they don't report information to anyone in particular. I think with the 21, you feel like, as far as like at least the, the people who maintain the gate, you're safe. And they're the only ones who would be around this time of night, really. There might be a couple of shapes moving around throughout the city, but it's, it's two in the morning. No one's out and about. Okay. Okay. Then I'll, I'll I'll take the I'll take the quick way. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. They won't they won't be able to chase you as fast. You begin to move, striding around the amphitheater. We'll say the gates are on sort of the uh, western side, and that is correct. West, I got it right this time. The western side of the amphitheater, moving down sort of the main thoroughfare. You saying I got to go west? <laughs> the wind is saying you have to go west. I heard east. She was wrong! Uh, do you begin to move down streets? Empty, but vibrant with life. Your eyes still falling on bits of text and hearing that jingle of music constantly thrumming, thrumming. Just this never-ending stream of narrative and energy pulsing through this city, or tiny city. As you begin to close in, you do notice a couple of figures, kind of strange, moving down the road somewhat in your direction large imposing figures the kind you wouldn't expect to be out here now you have a couple of options there's an alley to your almost immediate right you could like try ducking into you know sort of holding still there um or you could push forward you know that the gates are just beyond these figures what do you do I duck into the alley you duck into the alley and imagine just hold and wait for a moment. Correct. Good. I, y- yep. Because the map I made was for the alley. Perfect. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I knew this. I, I knew this was coming. Wait, you knew this was going to happen? No. Oh, you I just. Mean, I, I, kn- I knew. <laughs> you had a I premonition. Knew. Yes. Gotcha. This is not something we talked about, but I knew. You hold, waiting for the guard to pass. You hear them approach, hear them as they're just about to move by, and then you hear something else. Well, brother, I knew it. I knew it. The voice behind you from the other side of the alley. Do you turn to face it? Yes. And there he is, Jessinth Kellig, the ratty man. Head balding, teeth large, nose pressed in, definitely did not get the looks in the family. And yet his watery eyes glare towards you. His smile is 
wide, beaming. There are two figures beside him, each cloaked, faces shrouded. And you can feel the figures moving down the road, as well as others having joined them from somewhere you, you don't know. Four figures in total pressing in behind you, and you realize you are trapped. How many times, brother? How many times do we get information from one of the street rats on Tythos? One of the trees, one of the rats in Cerule? How many times did I almost have jewels in the palm of my hand only for him to miraculously vanish? I'd known for some time, but I was waiting, waiting for you to out yourself. And now you have. Where are you going, brother? That's nothing you need to know. Oh, I'm afraid I do need to know. Because I have suspicions that you're going to San Sitian to help the boy, help the prince. Your suspicions are bullshit. Unfortunately, my friends here don't seem to think so. (laughs) So we've reached a bit of an impasse. Because, well, so long as I have these suspicions, I can't simply let you go. And... Well, wouldn't it be convenient if that nice, cushy position as Cirilla's primary guard was erased? If someone more deserving could step in? Someone who has not been appreciated as they should be by the family? You think that's not for a reason? I think I'm going to earn their appreciation now. I'll be honest with you, I will. You're a better fighter than me, brother. It wasn't always the case. But you've grown since I gave you those scars. Training relentlessly, learning to adapt to our master's dark magics. Oh yes, yes, you are stronger than me now. But, (laughs) I'm not without my own gifts. See, I've always been much better at making the right friends. You feel those bodies? Oh, so you need your friends to fight your battles for you? His face drops into a snarl. That is why. Because you are weak. (sighs) Seething. Take him! The guards begin to move in. What they don't see is the figure moving down the road behind them, just turning around the alley, coming towards his commotion, completely unexpected in the dead of the night. A Horangon, having just left his meeting. Completely unexpected. (laughs) And we're going to pan away from that. Now, I'm guessing our listeners are on the edge of their seats wondering what's been happening to our friends in the past. Yeah, me too. Jules and Zebulon. (laughs) So just for a moment, just for a moment, let's get a glimpse. Let's get a quick glimpse of them. The clock winds back. I'll be doing a lot of maintaining time in this next arc. It's going to be a big deal. If you say we pan over a coffin, I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Graves in the sand. We're going to pan back to Sansetian. Once again, it is 11 o'clock, and we are in the middle of the desert. Sereno! You have Sereno! You're going to die, and there's nothing I can do about it! Sean Franklin standing over you, frantic. Jules on the ground, having just been healed from this brutal strike. Sebulon standing by his side. There's, there's a way out of this. I know there is. There's gotta be. Uh, Zebulon's just <clears throat> staring down at the ground. He was still on his knees after healing Jules. 
Sharono. Like the... Like the lady. The skeleton lady. Oh my god, Jules, are we gonna die? Zeb, no. We're no. gonna be fine. We're she... gonna be fine. Well, uh, hold on. I, I got this... I got this, um... And Zebulon pulls out what <laughs> Stephen thought <laughs> was an antidote, which still probably wouldn't have helped, <laughs> but is in all actuality, um, what was it, an antitoxin? Yeah, it's an antitoxin. Yeah. It helps before the save. Right. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's looking at this, what he thinks is going to cure him. Jules, here, take this. this wait, is... wait, wait, that's not... What... Give me that. <laughs> he snatches it from you. That's an antitoxin. Well, it... that's going to make us feel better, right? No, it, it might help later. I D- Hold on to this. Did you think it was an antidote? Well, yeah, it's for poison, right? I'm doing your shopping now. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I... Not much is known about Sarano yet, but you have all the symptoms. And there's these rumors that it comes across on, on, on a cold wind in the night. That that thing, it must have infected you. That must be what's infecting everyone. It takes the form of an owl, and, and no one knows that it's that, a demon. That thing came for me. We know where it came from. Who's sending that out there? What do we do? Hey, grab that scroll. The scroll? Oh. The scroll, the scroll. Right, right. Um, yeah, the only one you guys are like feeling so heavy, exhausted. Jean just scrambles to pick it up, and uh, he just lifts the scroll up and opens it, and he just freezes. He lowers it down and he looks at you, Jules, and there's a look in his eyes that shakes you to your core. We have another problem. I I haven't been around much, but I recognize here. Take it. Jules takes it and starts to open it up in front of in front of him and Zeb. As you begin to as you as you begin to open it, like Jean's still in the background talking in the stream, like it, it, it's it's marked for four days prior. Six hundred gold bounty. There must be more here already. They must have been late comers. We're already late to the chase. I don't know what we're going to do. I, you hear this and the words kind of fade away, I think, as your eyes fall on the scroll itself. Bold, huge letters. Wanted. Dead. And a picture of a half-orc child it is a picture of Miskin. What? And we'll call it there. Yeah, Mousia. Who the fuck's Jules? Ah, shit. Sorry, Jules. Wait, you know Jules? You're also a big fellow, though. (laughs) Hey, a big guy and a little guy. I know these two. (laughs) Ah, shit. Ah, no, it's recording. (laughs) Get Chester out of there. He's off the podcast.